0: Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5, let's talk about marriage, maintenance, and family repair from Ephesians 5, and we'll see what the king has to say to us, beginning with verse 18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now let's have a word of prayer. Father, for a few moments as we look into these verses, minister to us all. We know that in today's time, so many homes are under attack. But This is the one area, Lord, where I know you want your people to be strong and to walk in accordance with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The first family unit mentioned in Scripture, Adam and Eve in the garden, and that family was attacked by the devil because he led them into deception, and through sin, they were expelled from the garden, and of course, from their sin, Cain ended up murdering his brother Abel. Adam and Eve, of course, when God brought them together, it was the plan, the purpose, and the pattern, which God does that. The Scripture says he that finds a wife finds a good thing. That's what happened with Adam. The king was good enough to bring his wife to him. From his rib, created him. But when sin came into the world, Adam and Eve as a mom and dad experienced what so many parents have experienced, what so many of you in here may have experienced, and that is... the the difficulties that come when your kids transgress or sin. There are a lot of parents in America that have children in jail because somebody murdered somebody, somebody ended up extorting somebody or because of some substance abuse problem. But as in the story of Cain and Abel, when Abel died, then we have Seth who comes along because mom and dad can't go in a corner and crawl up and curl up and just lay there and die themselves. they got to continue living too. And the mom and dad, you've got to be able to live beyond the the pains, the problems, the weaknesses, the flaws of your own kids in order to maintain your own marriage and your relationship because your marriage is the one central unit in that house that keeps everything together. You lose your marriage. And then everything else just kind of falls by the wayside. But if if that marriage can be unified, then you'll find that over time, even when the circumstances don't look like they're changing at all, God can cause things to come back together. And typically when it happens, it happens quickly. Because you keep looking at things and you say, well, I just don't see how he's ever going to change. She's never going to change. They've been in this cycle for so many years and there'll never be any change at all. But you'll find when the change comes, it'll come quickly you'll be stunned by how fast God is able to do that. Well, families have difficulties. Think of some of these struggles that they deal with. Think of the ones who do have substance abuse problems. And just as a pastor, there have been plenty of occasions where I've had to talk with teenagers whose parents have problems with this or with that, and try to encourage them and walk them through this, keep them from losing their faith in God or coming to a point where they despise their parents, try to keep their hearts correct, you know. Think about the the ones who have difficulties with with, uh, conceiving children. We pastor a lot of folks like that. In the Bible, you know, there's the story of Hannah. She wanted a baby so bad, and her husband had another wife. The Bible says that wife teased Hannah and provoked her because she was unable to conceive. Think about Rachel. Rachel watched her sister Leah have one child after another, and she was so distraught. She went to her husband and said, give me a child, else I will die. And Jacob said, well, you think I'm God? I can't do that. I'm not God. But in either case, both of them went on to have children, but yet David had a wife by the name of Michal, we'll say Michelle, and she never conceived. difficulties. But I've seen a lot of marriages fall apart because of the inability to conceive. So here is is a man wants a child so bad that his desire for children is greater than his desire to remain in a covenant with his wife or a woman that will walk away from her, her husband because her desire for children is greater than her desire to be with a man that she may have found out is unable to produce seed. All of these kinds of things lead to wounds and pains and bruises in a person's life, and, and if God isn't there to repair the damage, marriages will fall apart. Everybody in here probably knows of a couple or two couples or more whose marriage didn't survive the bearing of a child. Difficult, yeah. But this is why Paul gives us Scripture to help us understand that as believers, we have secret information, inside information, and internal strength that is able to help us walk with him because that family unit is so important. And even though society in general doesn't put a high premium on the value of marriage, you know from the Word of God and from what the Scripture teaches that you and I should esteem it as one of the highest things in Scripture. Because if, if, if you'll be faithful to the covenant with one another and honor your covenant before God, there's not a whole lot you're probably not going to make it through. Yeah, Because you are going to face difficulties, you will face trials for sure. So then what does the scripture tell us regarding these marriages? Because we've got more marriage seminars today than probably in the history of the church, but yet we still have as many problems in marriages today. I had a couple many, many, many years ago came to me and said, Pastor, could you just have a talk with my husband? I said, well, what is the problem? He said, I cannot get my husband to take me on a vacation or leave his job to go on vacation. Well, what does he do? leave well, farms. So I spoke with him, and, of course, for every season he had ten reasons why he couldn't get away. But essentially what the answer was, he didn't want to. That's all it was. He did not want to invest money in something like that. So my 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 uh, conversation with them kind of went like this. I said, okay, show me some pictures of you and the family. Show me some pictures of the, you know, your kids and stuff, and you and all of you folks in your married life through the years. And, and you know how it goes. You, you see the little baby. And Dad and mom are holding a little kid, and they're standing out there in the yard and and uh they're little infant standing there by a John deere tractor in in the case of the kansan people by a case 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 tractor little little infant standing there by 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 a little tractor and then of course when when he's a toddler, it gets to about four or five. And then you're still taking pictures. Then the next thing you know, you look up. He's sitting there on 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 Dad or Grandpa's lap, and he, now he's holding on to the wheel of the tractor. Just excited, you know. And then pretty soon he gets involved with, with his first harvest and everything like that, and whether somebody's swapping or bailing, whatever they're out there doing. you got pictures of him out there. I mean, he's, he's helping us get the hay up there. I mean, he's working at filling the buckets with the seed corn and all of that. And, and then you notice all the way through high school, all the pictures have to do with the family on the farm. And so I said, doesn't it make sense for you to develop some memories that don't have anything to do with a tractor? they don't have anything to do with you on your property, can't you find time somewhere in your life to invest in your marriage where you can actually go and see some mountains or go to an amusement park or take your family somewhere where they can enjoy themselves? Because most people, their idea of happiness is, if I'm happy, everybody else ought to be happy. It doesn't work like that in a marriage. You've got to be willing to invest in that marriage, because if you don't invest time and energy and resources and happiness and joy in that marriage, how are you ever going to be happy later on in life, even when the kids leave? Because, I mean, a whole lot of people stay together because of the kids, but then when the kids leave, then you've got two people looking at each other like strangers trying to figure out what are we going to do now. But if you can find time to buy you a book like I like, or a gun like Albert likes, or if you can find time to buy you another another toy for your farm or, or something that you enjoy in your life and in your career, why can't you find a few thousand dollars or a few hundred dollars to do something with your family that's different than just your job? It's amazing to me how people will cry broke all the time, and the brokest people are always buying things that they just say, I just got to have it. The poorest people on the planet will have a $700 cell phone and say they can't even pay their light bill. They can hold that phone. Here's what Paul says about trying to, you know, work on our marriage because he's talking about, maintaining. He's talking about fine-tuning it. Here's what he says in verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess. That means that with strong drink you're going to find it affects your equilibrium, it affects your mentality, but he said be filled with the Spirit because the, the spiritual life of the Holy Ghost in your life is going to give you balance. It's going to help you stand, help you walk with God. And every marriage needs a tune-up from time to time. Think of cars for a second here. If if you have a well-built car, maybe a name-brand car, then chances are likely that to replace the parts on that is going to be a lot more expensive than on on a lower-end car. So if you're, if you're, if you're driving a, a BMW or if you're driving a Lincoln or if you're driving a, a Ford S2050 or something like that and, and, and all of these big vehicles, for you to replace the parts going to cause, cause you to spend a whole lot of money. Now, don't misunderstand me. Uh, mechanics, they don't mind taking that money from you. They'll say, go ahead and you buy that car, and Don will be right there to receive the money as he's working on it. But but to repair a Volvo is going to be much more expensive than if you're going to try to repair a Hyundai. Yeah. But depending on the value of the car, your family members might even tell you, you might as well just go ahead and get rid of that thing because you're going to put more money in repairs than the car is actually worth. And do you understand when it comes to marriage, whatever price, whatever value that you put on your marriage that's how much you're willing to sacrifice to hold on to it yeah what it will cost you time money pains tears and if you if you really want to see this work and you really want to make it to 60 years of marriage 70 years of marriage and still be in love with each other not just be roommates then you're going to have to give yourself a tune-up from time to time, just like working on that vehicle of yours that goes up and down the road because two people living in the same house, one person sitting over here in the lazy boy chair, the other one on this lazy boy chair, and we've got the same routine every night. We're going to watch Fox News, MSN, or whatever else we're looking at and just think that the marriage is just going to be a wonderful thing. It's not going to work out that way. You have to work on having a happy marriage. Time. So here's what, here's what Paul says in verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in Psalms and hymns, he's telling us that your heart is to be a melody-making center. If you want to be happy in your marriage, you need to be happy in God. And if you're happy and joyful in God, then your marriage is going to be easy if both parties are Christians because you're going to be happy to have somebody that God has blessed you with. But you have to maintain your joy in the king. And verse 19 does not say you have to have a beautiful voice. It just simply says singing, making melody in your heart. Now, your spouse may not particularly like your singing, but you still need to sing, okay? And, and if they don't like your singing, that's fine. The Bible says make a joyful noise, yeah. I mean, you know, God made canaries and he made crows. So somebody's got to make, make some sounds in that house, and in your praise and worship for the Lord, that's, that's good. So if you have a heart that's joyful and filled, what happened is, then remember what the Bible says, a merry heart does good like what? A medicine. You can keep your home healed and healthy by remaining happy with one another, And with God, by singing and praising God. You can change the atmosphere of your home by playing praise and worship. Yeah, maybe you ought to put on some praise and worship music sometimes instead of all that music that brings sadness into your life. When Tiffany goes home for her family gatherings, when she was a, a girl in uh, college, she, she came home one time in Christmas because her, her family on her dad's side, not, not believers, so they, they got all this blues music and everything playing. So Tiffany comes out of the bedroom, stands in the middle of the living room with all them people standing there, and say, Well, how in the world can you guys listen to all this? Don't you know it's Christmas time? You ought to love God. This is the time for singing and, and glorifying the King. Well, of course, she just put a damper on the whole gathering. Well, if, if you, you can change the atmosphere, you can change the environment by the kind of music that you play, and if you put some worship music on, some Christian music in your house, you can change everything. You can change your attitude, you can change your mood just like that. And mood changes are important in a marriage because the ones that have the moodiest attitudes are the ones that are hardest to get along with. Mm-hmm. So look at verse number 20. It says, giving thanks always for all things unto God. So if I'm happy and I'm doing verse 19, then I can have an attitude of gratitude in verse 20, and I'll forever be happy and grateful that God has provided me with the wife that I have. You'll be grateful that God has provided you with the spouse that you have no two people get married in front of witnesses and in front of God and say, I will, I will, I do, I do, to think about divorce. No. Unless the circumstances that brought two people together weren't godly, typically the serving of divorce papers are a long way off. But if the circumstances of your life that brought you together didn't have anything to do with God, then the only way you're going to be able to hold, hold on to what you have, you're going to need God because you're going to need the implementation of a new covenant in your life to cause you to, to love God because if you have a backslide, you go back to what you were before you were a Christian. And once you backslide and go go to that, you're not interested in the covenant anymore. You're going in the opposite direction. So the scripture here says, here's the cure. Give thanks to God for your spouse. Your husband should hear you say, Father, I thank you for my husband. Say his name. Lord, I'm thankful for my wife. Say her name. She needs to hear that. She needs to know you value her. She needs to know he is important in your life, that he's not just there to do this or to do that, but actually that you care about him. And that kind of attitude changes how people respond. Yeah, it's important. Gratefulness. Everybody in here has liked when people tell you thank thank you. You teach your kids and grandkids when they're little, now what do you say? And you teach them to say thank you, so Don't you think God wants to hear you say thank you? Wouldn't your spouse want to hear you say thank you also? There are plenty of wives who labor like indentured servants, and their husbands don't ever tell them thank you. They just expect, I come home, I expect a fair meal to be on that table when I walk through the door. They don't even bother with a thank you. Some ladies are the same way. Yeah. So we 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 understand then if if there's an attitude of gratitude then that will help solidify that home and cause two people to remain in love with each other. We were we were teaching uh, over in Beatrice at a college a couple of weeks ago for some some kids at the FCA. And after I was done teaching, then I said to the folks, anybody have any questions or comments, and a guy who was over at FCA for the whole region there, here's the first thing he said. He said, I just want to make a comment before I say something about what you taught on. He said, you know, I noticed the whole time you were teaching, your wife was just looking at you with the biggest smile on her face. You know? And I've heard that plenty of times. And I don't pay her to do that. I just want you to know that I'm not, I'm not paying her to do this. She, she, she does that. She does that. <laughs> she says that is free. She, she does that because she, she, she loves me, and 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 I love her. But when when Tiff and I are together, and, and we're holding hands, and we're walking arm in arm, and all of that, that's no put on, folks. That's how we carry on at home. We carry on in private, just like we do in public, in some cases. But I want you to understand that our relationship has been a developing one just like yours. Because when I, when I, we first got married, we I think we knew each other a couple of years, but we didn't spend more than 60 days or so together that entire time. I was traveling and preaching. She was traveling and singing. So we got married. She's never had a day as a wife without being a pastor's wife, never. She doesn't even know what it is to just wake up on a Sunday morning and just say, you know what, I just want to stay home today. I just don't even want to go out in the snow. She she don't even know what that is. She is in church all the time. She's in church if in, in times past if it was just her and me. Or if it was her, me, and other people, she is in the house of God and faithful with me and is right there no matter where I'm going if she wants to travel with me and we take her and we go and have a good time. But in the beginning, I I had a whole lot to learn about being married. I just come out of the Marine Corps, and, you know, in the Marine Corps, if you have difficulties and, and you need to communicate, Things they they teach you. You got to talk with an elevated voice. So some of you folks that are really calm, they're reasonable when you speak. That that was not that that was not me, and that's still not my old man. I'm just elevated because that's how we were at home. If my brothers and I got into a discussion, and and I was right and they were wrong, which typically was the way it was, then to prove my point. I had to climb above them a few octaves. They climbed above me, and then, of course, you know how it is. You, you start all that yelling and screaming downstairs, and before you know it, mom and dad are wondering what's going on down there, what's all that yelling, stop it before I come down there and give you a reason to yell. But we didn't stop. So she'd come down and give us a reason to yell. So when I got married, I, I thought I thought this is how everybody had Intense moments of fellowship. If you have a disagreement, you win the disagreement by raising your voice. And, of course, Tiffany, the whole time we were dating, Tiffany never raised her voice. I never knew Tiffany could even really get angry or upset until we said, I do. And then she had no problem with her little, her little self getting right up in my face, and I will be heard. And if she had to raise her voice, she didn't mind raising her voice at all. But, but you know, through, through all of that, if you learn anything, you learn that a whole lot of your problems come from just how you communicate with one another anyhow. If you could ever fix that, ever work on that things just kind of get a whole lot better. So look at verse 19, look at verse 20. If you're doing verse 19 and 20, then we come to verse 21. You can submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, in many modern Bibles, verse 21 isn't there, so if you've got one of them, get rid of that and get you a good Bible that has verse 21. But verse 21, two people have to submit themselves one to another. That means a wife's opinion and judgments are just as important as a guy's. Because most guys just want a wife that's seen and not heard. And they want to make a decision, and she just has to step in line and follow and do what, what I want her to do, but it doesn't work like that in life. Now, if you're going to have a happy marriage, submitting yourself one to another, that means that you have to be willing to listen to another point of view that you may not want to hear or you may not even see at that time. But in listening to that other point of view, you'll come to understand why she holds that point of view, and in the end, it might be a better one than yours. Now, every every church we've gotten involved with starting and planning, I, I couldn't get involved with unless I had her on board. Otherwise, we wouldn't have unity. If we didn't have unity, how in the world I'm going to try to preach to people, and i got the vision in my home. So she always had to be on board, and she would talk to me about, this is what we should do, let's not do this. And I always listened and generally, you know, follow her cues or what she's talking to me about regarding certain things because she needs to know she's valued also. Because, again, we, we, we live in a world today where, you know, a man just thinks I'm just the one that's going to make the decisions. Well, you've got to earn the respect of people in your house. If you have a history of making bad decisions, it's going to be very difficult to get, get your wife on board with decisions you're making, especially when your, your decisions are like an albatross hanging around somebody's neck, dragging people down further and further into debt and further and further into problems. You've got to earn respect. I've seen men go out and make purchases, buy homes and boats and other things like that, never even tell their wife they're going to do it. And then when they go out there and do it, then they get angry and upset with their wife because their wife won't, well, she just won't get involved. She just won't get in unity with me and follow my lead. That's because you're crazy. And she shouldn't follow your lead. You don't have any sense. You, you have to be reasonable and prayerful about the decisions you're going to make with regard to your family. When it was just me and I was single and I was traveling, oh, I could say all the time, I just heard from God. God told me to do this, and I could just go right out and do it. I got married. I got to hear very clearly now. Very clearly. Because every decision I make is going to affect not just me, but it's going to affect her, and it's going to affect us both, and it's going to affect the churches. Yeah. Very important to, 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 to walk with your spouse and be willing to submit when you're wrong. Or you can be willing to submit when she holds a better opinion or he holds a better opinion than you have. Not that you're wrong, but just what he or she is saying is a better way of doing things. So then, verse 22 becomes easier to do because you've got this mutual relationship. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So notice the verb again submit. Submit. Now, in our early years of marriage, you know what I used to do? I used to chase Tiffany around the house reading this verse to her. And then I'd read her that verse over in Peter that said, Sarah called Abraham Lord. Oh, I was terrible. I used, to, I used to harass her all the time. Yeah, I'd harass her. And then when, if, if she really was angry with me and upset, then I'd go back and get some of the letters that she wrote to me. And she was telling me how much she loved me and adored me and how wonderful I was and all that kind of stuff. And, and then I, I'd, walk, I'd walk behind her over here in Jenny's little house. I'd walk behind her and, and just read them letters to her. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, I hadn't seen them yet letters in years, so I I don't know I don't know what happened to them. They could have been a bonfire or something. I don't know. I just I just hadn't seen them letters in a while. But but notice wives submit yourselves unto your own husband. I'm married to Tiffany. Tiffany only needs to be submissive to me when it comes to things related to our house. It doesn't say wives be submissive to every man. Don't say that because you as a wife you don't have to submit yourself to every other man that comes along trying to tell you about what to do in your house. In fact, if you do that, you undermine your your husband's authority. If you want to create some anger and some jealousy, start telling your husband what all the other men are telling you y'all to do. You create some offense, some problems. Wives submit yourselves unto your own Husband, have your own husband, not somebody else's husband, but yours. Now there's a reason Paul put in the scripture, it's better to marry than to burn. It's good for a man not to touch a woman because he knows what happens. We get all excited and everything when we start physically touching each other. So it's, it's better to get married. So we get married, of course, and then we have somebody we can be connected with, spend our time physically with. This is the Bible. This is Scripture. This is what God wants us to see. This is what our culture despises today. Our young men need to know this. Our little boys growing up need to know how to honor a woman. They need to learn that because they're not going to learn that on television. They're not going to learn it on the radio. They're not going to learn it in school because these places don't value that. It's the same thing with our ladies. They need to learn how to have dignity, self-respect for themselves, to be to say, I'm not going to do this unless you treat me as God wants me to be treated. Now, that's depending on if we're godly people and walking with God. You can't expect people that don't live in a covenant with God to act like this. However, it says, submitting yourselves as unto the husbands, as unto the Lord. Now, this little fun part here is where we like to say that your husband is not Jesus, but play like he is. Yeah. You hear that, Miss Dorothy? Play like Albert is Jesus. So far as the husband is leading you in a godly way, follow him. And so far as his conduct is scriptural and biblical, you should be willing to be submissive. But what if you've got a husband that doesn't want you to tithe? What if you have a husband that doesn't want you to go to church as often as you want to go to church? Well, here's what I would say. I wouldn't go to hell over any man. I wouldn't let any man, if I was a woman, wouldn't let any man tell me I'm not going to go to church and I can't serve God. Well, I didn't marry you to marry a Christian. Well, you got one now, and I'm not walking away from God just to retain you. Now, the Bible does say in 1 Corinthians 7, if you're married to an unbeliever and he's willing to remain with you, then you stay with him. But if he's willing to go, you let him go, because you don't know whether or not he's going to get saved. But if he does go, you're free. And he says if you do get married again, you can only get married in the Lord. In the Lord. Marry a believer. Why? So that you don't repeat the same problem you just went through. Yeah, Very important to know that. Well, A husband, then, should strive to be like Jesus. I think we all know we come up short every 20 minutes. And our wives like to remind us where we're coming up short. You husbands, any of you have wives that have a long memory? I mean, they can remember stuff going back years, years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see a few of you kind of trying to stick your hand up like this, so I can see you without your wife being able to see, see what you're doing. But but yeah, a, a a wife has a long memory, and and they can they can recall what you did on the wedding night that they didn't like, and it's been decades. Yeah, and and they can recall what you did at the birth of your second kid, and you were supposed to be there. Said you were going to be there, but you decided you had something else that was more pressing. Yeah, they can, they can recall all of that. So I, I think the the cure for self-righteousness and arrogance and pride is a spouse. Yeah. Because nothing shows you your weaknesses reflected back on you like your spouse can. Because they can see things about the other party that you, you just can't see. We're just totally blind to it. We're oblivious to it. And until... Your spouse says it, and sometimes your kids, until your kids say it, and it becomes like a dagger going inside you, then you realize, I just never knew I acted like that. Yeah. So verse 23 says, the husband's the head of the wife. True. Equally, Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. So the husband should have a desire to want to redeem, save, rescue, bless. His wife, therefore, is Christ's, the church is subject unto Christ. So let their wives be unto their husbands in everything. Now, again, we're talking about husbands that are walking with God. If you've got an unbelieving husband, it's going to be hard for you to submit to him in everything. Because what if he wants to do some ungodly things? Yeah. You, you don't want to, you can't submit to that. What if you've got a man that wants to teach the kids to go out and steal? You can't submit to that. No. So far as he is walking with God, so far as he is setting the example, then you can be submissive to that and everything. So a a, a husband then should be interested in in caretaking in the home, but you can read in Titus and in Timothy and see where basically the economy of the house and the running of the house was done typically by the ladies. But there are a lot of wives that don't know anything about the money, money in their house. They don't know anything about the banking. They don't know anything about the bills. And on more than one occasion, I have seen husbands die who handled everything related to the finances in the house, and now we've got a wife that's never even put gas in the car and has never paid a bill and don't even know where to begin to think about these things. That's not the way God has so designed this and, and planned this. Now, my dad, he made sure, because we had circumstances like that in our family before, whether I had somebody pass away and the cousins or the aunties didn't know anything, just couldn't even function for the first six months because they were without a husband. So my, my dad made sure my mom knew how to handle all the finances in the house. She paid the bills. She ran the checkbook. She took care of all of that. Now, some, some men are threatened by that. My dad wasn't, and, I, and I'm not. I got married. I just did the same principle. Tiffany handles all the bills. She makes sure tithes and offerings are where they're supposed to be. I just go travel and preach and come home put a check in her hand, you know, and all that that kind of a thing. You know the old example of how, you know, because of Jesus, he made us more than conquerors, you know? Yeah. That, 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 that boxer, he goes out there and he fights and he... Wins the battle and he's all bruised up. May even spend a night or two in the hospital. But the purse comes in for that fight. How many people came to the auditorium to watch him battle? And he gets that check. And I mean he's limping, trying to get back home. He's conquered his foe and he's won the fight. But he goes home, what does he do with that check? He puts it right in the hands of that wife. He's the conqueror, but she's more than a conqueror. She's holding the money in her hand. So as a as as a family then, why would it be an obnoxious I'm not talking about business, but why would it be an obnoxious thing for a wife to know about monies in the house? If you got a private business that's something totally different, but just the economy of the house? She ought to know. Well, if we come back, look at verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives. Just like verse 22 says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, husbands, love your wives. That should be the object of all of your affection. And since love there is a verb, husbands, put your love upon your wife and not upon other women. And don't... Don't be roaming around taking second, third, fourth, and fifth glances at other people then wondering why your, your wife is mad. Love your wife. How does adultery begin? I think it's James that tells us that it all starts with thought, then lust conceives, then it gives birth to sin. you got to stay away from the conditions that will create Adultery. What are conditions that create adultery? The kind of settings and circumstances that have you alone with people sometimes. Because sometimes people you're not even attracted to, given the right set of circumstances, oh, you'd be surprised how attracted you become to them people quickly. Yeah. And adultery has destroyed a lot of homes. So Paul says, Husbands, love your wives care for them, be concerned for them, be willing to lay down your life for them, to provide for them, even as Christ also loved the church. So then a husband cannot love his wife beyond his revelation of how Christ loved the church. Everybody in here knows what Jesus did for the church in dying and redeeming it. But how many men go out of their way to do that for their spouses, though? Yeah, just don't make any time for what she wants? I mean, goodness! All all she wants you to do is go spend five hours with her shopping and walking around one store. <laughs> That's not much. <laughs> the the other The other Sunday night when we had the the marriage deal in here, so we came and and we were sitting in couples. All, we were all talking. We got on the subject of shopping too. That's the thing that came up. And, and and I just like, you know, because I don't think there's a one of us that wants to go shopping with our wives. And we were explaining the reasons why. And, of course, I, I, I'll let other guys tell you why they don't like to go shopping. I know when it comes to me why I don't because, you know, back when I did go shopping with Tiff, when the mall in Hastings was a popular place, I could just go and sit down there on the little bench there you know you got stores going all around you in a in, in a circle and then I mean I just sit there and just watch for an hour, however long it was, she just went from one store to the next. Back and forth behind me and across this direction. Then finally I asked, Why are you going back and forth? Because it was on sale here. I could save ten cents over here. Why not just go ahead and buy it over here? You know. <laughs> I mean all the energy you're expending going back and forth, and then getting in the habit of driving to other stores in order to save 50 cents, you might as well just go ahead and buy it in the first place, rather than use up the gallon or two of the gas that you're going to have to use in order to get it in all these other places. So I understand why in marriages the husbands and wives like to do things separately. I get it. But I do know that when it says, husband, love your wives, it does mean sometimes you've got to be willing to do things you don't like to do. It can't just be all about you. Because if it's all about you, then one day it's only going to be you. There are plenty of people who now, when they when they look back years later, because they were selfish and self-centered, then, then here is somebody that, that they've met, and and now they want to become for someone in their later years the person that individuals in their early years wanted them to be wanted them to be and they didn't want to change but you know you know sometimes life has a way of kind of helping you see you need to change your life make some transformation change this or change that because if if you don't make the changes then that's when the trouble comes I'll be honest with you, I like being married. I do. I, I enjoy being married, and I, I just can't imagine what this world would be like if I wasn't in Tiffany's life. Why are you laughing like that? It just wouldn't be right for Tiffany to have to have another husband. She needs to have me all the days of her life, and I need to have her. She she tells people it took her a while to get me Somewhat trained, like I am now, and some of you that have been married a long time. I think Tom told me five decades now. Five decades. Why start over now? See? Think about it. Yeah. Well, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. He sacrificed. Men, this is what we should be wanting to do. And I believe, and I've said continually through the years, that if men do verse 25 in loving our wives, we won't have a hard time finding wives that want to do verse 22, which will be submit to us. But most wives do not want to submit to men that they don't feel love them and care for them. And sacrifice for them. Yeah. And, and and for ladies, you know, the whole affection thing goes a lot further than just the physical relationship that can be had in the bedroom. Ladies like other things. Yeah, I mean, uh, what was people? People used to say love starts in the kitchen or something like that. It don't work like that in our house. but But I've heard people say that. Yeah. Now, Tiffany, she, she loves me to just sit next to her and and, and nestle and cuddle and, and all of that with her. But, you know, there are some men that naturally, by, by inclination and their disposition, they are not touchy-feely people. You need to get over yourself if you're going to be married. And whether you are or not, you need to learn to become affectionate because God made us affectionate people. He made us different people. Husbands and wives come together so that the two can become one. You cannot become one if you don't come together. It is a matter of intimacy. It is a matter of love. And when we don't follow the instructions that God gives us in the book, then, of course, just like an old car, it stops running, and then pretty soon, what do we want to do with an old car? Get rid of it. But if you keep working on something and you value what you have, then you'll have it for a long time. I thought when I was in my early 20s that I'd, I'd never get married. I did. I just thought I'd give myself to God. I didn't think I was a priest or nothing like that, but I just, the, the, the way my life was going, I just thought I'd just give myself to the king and just travel and preach and walk with the Lord. But then, in my mid 20s, Overseas, I woke up one day and realized I did not have Paul's gift and and I did not want to be alone. so I started praying, and i said saying father I'd like to have somebody to spend my life with and it seemed to me like no sooner I started praying that than I had all kinds of pastors and people inviting me to their house for meals because they had daughters. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he had daughters, and, and there were all kind of girls in church and, and things like that, that that I started noticing. They noticing me, and and I, I passed up many opportunities because I knew the call of God on my life, and I needed to have somebody I thought that would fit what I wanted. I, I, when I say I passed up some occasions, it's been weird sometimes. I was in Okinawa, Japan, sitting up in the pulpit, getting ready to preach. And the pulpit, the way the chairs were, the pulpit was here, and my seat was back here. I was sitting next to my pastor, and it was a Sunday evening service, and pastor was leading the testimony part. He said, anybody want to get up and testify? And the a, and a lady, she couldn't have been but 17 because I was just 18 in the Marine Corps. She stood up and she said, I just want to testify. God told me that, that uh, Elder Sutton up there is to be my husband. This was in a service. Sunday night, everybody's sitting there. And and I just sat there, and my pastor leaned over and said, Do you have anything you want to say? I said, Not a word. Not a word. I got up and preached. You know, just act like nothing happened at all. One time in our home church in in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, there was a lady that played the piano. She went to the pastor privately. told the pastor, God told me, Brother Daryl, supposed to be my husband. And the pastor told me, "I said, this is bad." No, oh, this isn't God. When I moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, there was a girl down there in the Bible College who went to the president of the Bible College, who was a mutual friend of mine and Tiff, and she laid it out for the Bible College president how Darryl is to be her husband. She said, he is my husband. God told me that. And so Lauren started asking some questions. He said, well, how long have you known about this? And she told him, and he said, well, have you told Daryl this? He said, no. He said, have you ever had a conversation with Daryl? She said, no. He's never said hello to you or anything. No, he hasn't, but he's your husband. Yes, he is. Well, Lauren came to me and told me that, and I just didn't respond to that at all. But I will tell you, when I told Tiffany about it, I thought there's going to be fisticuffs on the ground there. You know, just not, not quite? Okay, not, not quite. But, but when I met her, though, then my whole world changed. See, now I was 28. No, 26 when I met her, I think. And so when when I met her, just fell totally in love. But as I said, we were separated. I was traveling and preaching. I had to go down to South America to live in Peru to work with Wycliffe Bible Translators. So I was living with a Quechuan Indian family that spoke Spanish so that I could learn Spanish. They didn't know a word of English, and... I was there for a one-year contract, but I was so in love with her, I just couldn't wait to get back, you know. So I lasted maybe six or seven weeks. I don't know. It might have been two months or so. However it worked out, I just remember I wanted to propose to that beautiful girl. So down in Peru, up in the mountains where I was in an area called Poma Bamba, Poma Bamba, they, uh, the, the, the young men, they had they go to a silversmith, and they'd have the silversmith make a puzzle ring, and the puzzle ring had a heart that had two hands that came across it like that, and then you'd take that puzzle ring, open it up, and then you'd give it to that girl, and that was your proposal. And she understood when she received that 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 was a proposal for marriage, and then she put the puzzle ring together, and when she put it together, that was her way of saying, yes, she wanted to marry you. So I found out her ring size, and I and I ordered that. From the silversmith up there. And then I I, I, I took that, that ring, put it in a a note, and I wrote that letter, and in that letter I told Tip how much I loved her, wanted to be with her and proposed to her, Will you marry me? Then left a line and then put on that line, Yes you will. And And that ring, I didn't even untangle it. I made sure it was wrapped up with string around it, so that there'd be no way she couldn't get that thing back together. I mean, she could just put it right on her hand, and even now, when we travel overseas, that's the she takes off the wedding band she has now, and she puts on that ring when we travel overseas. but But do you understand if if we would do after we're married? the kinds of things we did in order to be married, we'd stay married. Yeah, my eyes still dance when she comes in the room and I see her, and I hope that never changes. And if we do Ephesians 5, it won't ever change. The last thing I'll say to you here is in verse 26 and 27, and I'll make this quick in just a few minutes here. It says that he may sanctify, cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Jesus became the bride, the kind of bride that he wanted. He wanted a pure bride, a holy bride. He became that kind of bride. If If you want a spouse that's loving and kind, become a loving and kind person. If you don't want your spouse to cuss at you, don't cuss. At your spouse. If you don't want explosive reactions, don't explode and react that way with your spouse. Become the kind of person you want your spouse to be towards you, and over time they'll recognize that. But because of our old nature, most people tend to respond in kind to the kind of actions that are given to them. You're going to shout and yell at them. They're going to shout and yell right back just to let you know they can. You're going to be mean and spiteful. They'll turn around and do something mean and spiteful to you. Yeah. You can tell your wife, well, if you don't do this, I'm not going to do that. But she's got a response, I guarantee it. She'll get you where you need to be. And it can be humbling sometimes. I mean, besides, why would you want to treat bad the person that's making all your meals anyhow? You don't know what could be put on that plate. You better be nice, yeah. Better be nice. You worried about Santa checking his list? <laughs> you better keep that wife happy, yeah. That, that that's the key there. So in, in in walking with God, I think all of us can see if if we do some of the things that are placed in the Word of God, that becomes important. Older people set the example. To younger people. That's what younger people need, and they need to be able to find examples in the church because you can't always find them out in society. But we need to be able to have them in the house of God. Amen? Amen. It's so true. Come on, let's stand. Praise God. Marriage is a beautiful thing. At the center of every relationship should be a covenant, a covenant that we have with God. And if we build our life around that covenant, then everything kind of works out the right way.